This is a recording of a live Resolution Foundation event. We hope you find it some combination of interesting or entertaining. To read the research and access the event slides referenced in this episode, please visit the events section of our website. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Resolution Foundation event. We're here to talk about that certainty of life taxation. Uh, and in particular, is it possible and how might it possibly be possible to have better taxes? Um, because a lot of the last few years, and actually politics in general, just really enjoys a row about the level of taxes. So everyone is almost in principle in favour of them either being lower, that's the public generally, uh, or being higher, that's kind of wonk land or people who are angst about an ageing society or others, rather than having a kind of you're not allowed an opinion on that. Would you like to have better taxes and what would it mean to get them and what's the political economy of that happening? So that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to do that because as part of the Economy 2030 inquiry, which is into its final stretch now, we're looking at what a new economic strategy for the UK looks like and tax policy, which also has to do lots of other things like funding public services would ideally be a part of that strategy or at least not running directly against it. So we're going to focus on what we're saying in that report today, which is jointly done between Resolution Foundation and the London School of Economics and the Centre for Economic Performance and generously funded by the Nuffield Foundation. So first of all, we're going to hear from one of the authors of that report, Adam Corlett, who's a principal economist here at the Foundation. And then we've got a great panel who have spent years either doing tax policy or telling people how they should do tax policy. They can tell you how well both those have gone. The, um, uh, so you're first of all going to hear from Gemma Tetlow, who's the chief economist at the Institute for Government, and Edward Troop, uh, who has done basically every interesting job in tax policy over the years, which he may or may not think was a good lifestyle uh, choice, then you can occasionally hear telling us what we should be doing now on the um, uh, on the radio. But he spent a long time at the Treasury, which when we got to work together yep. back in the 2000s, yep. well, obviously tax policy was optimal. <laughs> Um, uh, then, so you're going to hear from him, and then we're going to hear from all of you. As always, you can go onto Slido to ask questions. It's hashtag better taxes. Um, or if you're here in person, you can raise your hand and ask us. So that is the plan. Adam, how can we have better taxes? Okay, thanks, Justin. And thanks also to my co authors, Molly and Greg, who are in the room, and uh, everyone else who's helped with this mammoth paper. Um, there's a lot of content in it. Uh, I think over £70 billion a year of tax policies in, in both directions. Uh, so I'm not going, going to try to cover all of that this morning, but I'll give a, 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 an overview. Um, the paper is not trying to take a view as to where taxes need to go from here in terms of the overall level, uh, although that's obviously a, a hugely important question. Um, but it does recognise the context. Uh, taxes are high by historical standards. Uh, reaching the highest point in uh, over seven decades, um, with a little bit more still to go in the next few years. Uh, and we argue that um, there's no good reason to think that that's going to change um, dramatically. Um, if anything, they're more likely to, to rise than uh, fall. For example, uh, there's been a rise of, or an expected rise of five percentage points uh, in the tax-to-GDP ratio, and a big chunk of that is actually just from uh, the higher debt interest um, that the government's facing, um, and that was based on March 2023 forecasts, uh, so if anything, that's probably gone up since then. Um, but alongside that reality of rising taxes for structural reasons, um, there's been a lot of rhetoric about tax cuts over the years, 
that's understandable to a degree from politicians, um, but we argue that the, the sort of degree of mismatch between the reality and the rhetoric has caused problems for um, a lack of tax strategy. So you can see that, for example, in the extreme example of, of September last year, um, uh, when the government tried to, to wish tax rises away with disastrous results. Um, but there's also been a much slower burn of uh, poor policy making um, as a result. So you can see that lots of the tax cuts of the 2010s, for example, on corporation tax, council tax, and uh, an increased personal allowance are now being rapidly reversed, um, which is, is not good for the stability of the, the tax system. Um, to some extent, circumstances have, have changed unforeseeably, but um, a lot of uh, the, the need for higher taxes was arguably uh, foreseeable at the time, and we saw uh, other rich countries raising taxes in the 2010s, whereas our tax burden stayed fairly stable. Um, so to some extent, the rise now is just uh, making up for, for lost time. Uh, over the years, tax rises have often focused on the, the easiest political options. Um, for example, raising employers' national insurance rather than looking at income tax, which has come down over the years, uh, contributing to long-term uh, growing biases in the tax system, such as against employment. Um, and there's been a lot of fiscal fudging. Um, so if you look at the fiscal forecast at the moment, it includes big tax rises for corporation tax in a few years, stamp duty in 2025, uh, and a, a fuel duty policy that, that nobody actually believes. Um, so I'll talk a bit more about those, um, but it's not a good example of uh, policy making. Um, in contrast, uh, a tax system needs some clear directions of travel that contribute to a, um, a proper strategy. Um, the broader Economy 2030 inquiry sets out the sort of overall goals of tackling the UK's low growth and tackling its high inequality. So we, we think the tax system obviously needs to play a part in delivering those. Um, and on a sort of lower level, uh, the ambitious goals that the tax system should be trying to achieve include supporting business investment, um, contributing to, to reaching net zero, but also dealing with the implications of that for the tax system, reforming residential property, uh, reforming the taxation of income, and trying to raise a bit more from wealth-related tax policies. So I'll cover all of those briefly. Uh, firstly, supporting business investment. Uh, the government has taken steps uh, introducing full expensing into corporation tax uh, to try and boost business investment, but uh, somewhat bizarrely, that's only a, a temporary policy um, which will mostly bring forward investment rather than uh, sustainably increasing it. Uh, we did a paper last week that discussed that in more detail. Um, in this paper, we set out um, a, a separate policy on business rates. Um, so also trying to boost investment by taking structures out of the business rates base. Um, people have talked about moving uh, business rates onto a, a land value tax basis, um, but our policy here is to do that gradually, so we only exempt uh, new structures and improvements from business rates, uh, which means we avoid a windfall giveaway to existing uh, commercial property owners, um, and the sort of tax loss or need for adjustment can, can happen gradually. Um, but alongside the corporation tax policy, uh, we think there's a sort of material uh, tax policy that could boost investment. Uh, there's a lot that could be said about 
net zero, obviously, and there's a big climate change committee report out this morning. Um, but we argue that um, tax policy needs to um, play its part and try to raise money from, from sort of sin taxes where possible to keep taxes down elsewhere in the system. Uh, above all, that means um, dealing with the loss of fuel duty that electric vehicles will, will cause, and we dealt with that more in a separate paper, um, but we called for introducing a, a road duty, um, which is an equivalent tax on electric cars to the level of fuel duty. Um, but also equalising the treatment of um, charging cars beyond your home rather than at home, which I don't think is politically sustainable um, and as uh, unfair as it stands. Um, as I mentioned, fuel duty uprating has been a somewhat embarrassing feature of the, of the UK tax policy making. Uh, whatever level of fuel, fuel duty you think there should be, um, having a, a formal policy that it will go up with RPI each year and then each year not doing that um, uh, is, is yeah, not great from an institutional perspective. We suggest making uprating very boring um, by doing it every month, as the IFS had previously suggested, um, and having a, a fixed uprating of about 2% a year um, to take all of the, the politics and annual drama out of uprating. Um, we also discussed carbon pricing. Um, we don't sort of come down in favour of trying to raise huge sums for a comprehensive carbon pricing system, but there's definitely more that can be done at the margin. Um, and as the Climate Change Committee mentioned this morning, um, the government definitely needs to be looking at rebalancing uh, taxes between electricity and um, gas uh, to support electrification or moving some of those burdens from electricity onto to general taxation. Um, so at the moment, the, the tax system has a, a bias against electricity through various levies and, and taxes that, um, that don't apply to gas. Um, we talk a lot about residential property taxes in the paper. Um, as the UK's main taxes, stamp duty and council tax are very poor ones. Uh, council tax is very unfair in a number of dimensions, whereas stamp duty is sort of universally hated by economists for good reasons. Um, we set out some policies to, to cut stamp duty, so keeping the, um, the threshold where it is rather than the, the penciled in um, tax rise that will happen in 2025, and also halving rates. Um, but we suggest that if you just do that for main homes rather than landlords and so on, uh, the cost is uh, relatively small. Um, um, yep. Uh, <laughs> My books, but anyway, I'm glad you got used to, you know, you, that we, we pay well at the Resolution Foundation. Um, and then on council tax, uh, obviously there have been many calls over the years for an improved system. Uh, again, this is sort of a, an embarrassment in the tax system at the moment based on 1991 values um, and inheriting a bit of a legacy of uh, the poll tax. Um, but to sort of try to suggest achievable progress, we suggest um, taking it in stages. So um, we'd like to see a proportional um, tax on property, so X percent of your property value each year. Um, but if you do that all at once, the result is a, a big uh, tax rise in, in London and surrounding areas and uh, huge tax cuts in the, in the north especially. Um, I think it's fair to say that those kind of rises in, in the southeast uh, are not politically 
doable all at once. Um, so we suggest a sort of two-stage process, as I said. Uh, start off by doing the revaluation and making taxes proportional to property values within each council. Um, so you would have different rates um, across the country as we do now in council tax. Um, that still leads to, to winners and losers, um, but nothing on the, the scale of, of uh, full national redistribution. Um, and then over time, try to equalise the, the geographic burden by changing the, the council tax funding um, formula for, for local government. Um, the paper has a lot on um, making income taxation more consistent. There's no good reason why, uh, if you're a business owner, um, you should pay much lower taxes than if you take your income as an employee, for example. Um, or that uh, investment income shouldn't ultimately be taxed um, with similar marginal, marginal rates to, to employees. Uh, as I said, tax raises over the years have tended to, to fall disproportionately on um, employment. Um, we'd like to redress that balance. Um, so you can see in this chart, um, once you take into account employers' national insurance and other national insurance, uh, the top rate of tax for additional rate taxpayers is actually about 53%. Um, so that's sort of our benchmark um, against which you should assess other tax rates in the system. Uh, so self-employed pay a bit less, for example, because they don't pay an equivalent of employers' national insurance. Um, capital gains tax rates are um, significantly lower, and in some cases you can get away with paying no tax um, if you hold onto assets until death or you leave the country, for example. Um, and rental income um, pays no national insurance. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, parts of the tax system uh, impose really high marginal rates. So we look at the, the personal allowance withdrawal um, beyond £100,000. Um, and uh, the withdrawal of child benefit between fifty and £60,000. Uh, both of those lead to much higher tax rates than 53%. Um, if you have lots of children, those rates can go even above 100%. Um, so the report sets out um, a lot of tax changes, um, a complete overhaul of capital gains tax, um, with marginal rates rising up to 37% um, for shares and all the way up to 53% for um, uh, for residential property, but this is excluding main homes as now. Um, but alongside that, we call for a reintroduction of inflation indexation, um, which was the system in the uh, 1990s, roughly. Um, so um, we'd only tax real capital gains, um, and anything that was purely inflationary um, would be tax-free. So that's a big giveaway um, for, for long-term uh, held assets especially, um, for property especially, um, yeah, that would be a, a net tax cut despite those high tax rates. Um, but in cases where capital gains are really sort of disguised earnings, um, those would be brought much more into line with the overall taxation of employment, which we think is fair. Um, we call for self-employment national insurance increases. So the government has tried 
um, briefly in the past to, to tackle this issue for um, basic rate taxpayers and failed. Um, we suggest focusing instead on higher earning self-employed people um, above £50,000, uh, where that rate should go up from 2% to 8% um, to bring them into line with employees. We don't think, for example, that uh, a high-earning lawyer should face a, a lower marginal rate than a high-earning banker. This is about sort of fairness between the rich uh, more than anything else. Um, and we call for uh, national insurance to be introduced on rental income as well, especially given the, uh, the big tax giveaway of um, inflation indexing um, for property. And then at, at that other end of the spectrum, um, we think that those tax rises could fund big tax cuts in the form of getting rid of the personal allowance withdrawal altogether, and the same with the child benefit withdrawal, uh, with child benefit becoming universal. Uh, finally, uh, the wealth tax system is also very inconsistent in terms of how it treats different forms of wealth um, and could be significantly reformed, um, such as on inheritance tax. Um, so in, in inheritance tax, we obviously have a 40% tax rate uh, as a basis, but then um, lots of property is exempt, so business and agricultural property um, and private pensions. Um, there's a special treatment of uh, main homes, which is very complicated, um, which just sweeping away all of those um, and instead introducing some lower tax rates, so moving away from a flat 40% tax rate to a progressive structure with rates of 20, 30, 40%. Um, hopefully addressing some of the public concerns about inheritance tax where, where people are sort of somewhat incorrectly worried that uh, uh, sort of middle wealth families will be hit by a 40% tax charge. Uh, ideally I'd go further and uh, replace inheritance tax completely with a, um, a charge on recipients um, that couldn't be avoided by uh, sort of giving uh, a long time before death. Um, but we think that changing the existing system could also deliver um, substantial benefits. Uh, so to summarise, um, regardless of, of where tax GDP over GDP ends up, um, uh, we think we can deliver hashtag better taxes. Um, uh, that can mean more uh, business investment and more growth, um, helping to achieve net zero but without to the disastrous fiscal hole caused by losing all the fuel duty, um, an improved uh, property tax system that can also support worker mobility across the country uh, and reduce inequality through changing council tax bills. Uh, we want the tax system to have less of a bias against employment um, and remove some of those really high marginal tax rates um, that certainly can change behaviour. Um, and generally try to improve public consent for uh, the tax system given um, the high tax to GDP ratio. Um, I should say that we don't think that the tax system itself um, is, is going to do all of the work um, alone in, in boosting growth by any means, um, but it's part of the broader uh, economic strategy that we're setting out in the inquiry. I'm hoping that the paper delivers some Sort of achievable proposals. Um, we can debate that a bit. Um, uh, setting out 
yeah, steps that replace roughly sort of the worst 1% of GDP of the tax system um, with a, um, a better set of tax options. Great. Thank you very much, Adam. So, so that's a lot, and we are going to go back through those over the course of the um, next hour. Obviously, that isn't a budget. The whole point here is to say, what's the tax strategy that ideally the country is operating under, and then that each budget, which is then obviously taking into account lots of other things, what's happening in the real world, the needs of public services, other priorities. What's your like back? What's in the back of your head about the direction of travel you're trying to move in as you're making those decisions? And as I say, we've intentionally done it as a revenue neutral package so that you can. I like your the worst one percent of tax revenues. There's quite a lot of tax revenues, as you saw, 37, 38 percent of GDP. So, what's the worst one percent that you want to go after and have in your head as a chancellor? That's what I need to fix over the course of X years. So, Gemma, what should we actually do? So, I mean, first I would say I really welcome this report and the call it makes for better taxes and a proper tax strategy, not just higher ones. Um, I think Edward is going to caution all of us about the, the primary role of the tax system is to raise revenue, which is absolutely true. And as Torsten... And it is nailing that. It is, it is like, <laughs> that is going really well, as we're going to come on to, Edward. Yes. Um, and as Torsten said at the beginning, with an ageing population, if anything, we're probably facing need to raise more revenue, not less revenue. But in that context, I would say it is therefore even more important to make sure we have a well-designed tax system rather than a badly designed one, because the higher tax rates get, the more distortionary they become if you've got poorly designed structures underneath that. So very much welcome Resolution Foundation adding their voices to the Murley's review and other previous work trying to encourage governments to have better taxes and be more strategic. Um, and unfortunately, I think in recent years, what we've seen as governments have needed to raise more money is actually the politics instead of driving towards better taxes, driving towards less notice tweaks or increasing NICs, as Adam said, rather than income tax, because for some reason that's more politically sellable um, to the public than raising income tax rates. Um, and it's ended up with lots of perverse bits of the tax system, things like the £100,000 fixed threshold where we withdraw the personal allowance, which leads to the very high marginal rates that Adam was talking about and the high income child benefit charges um, and all those sorts of things. So we really need to do this. Um, the Resolution Foundation report today sets out their proposed package of reforms and part of what informs that is the objectives that they want for the tax system, which are promoting growth and redistributing the burden away from low and middle income households. Now, I think you might disagree with those as objectives. I don't think you should disagree with the fact that we need better taxes in the UK um, for all the reasons we've just talked about. Um, but we've known this for a long time and doing it is incredibly hard. And that's something we at the Institute for Government have looked at and tried to think about what stops governments doing this, how might we go about um, trying to overcome some of that. I think a couple of fundamental problems with doing any of this is firstly that most people don't understand taxes at all. So when you try and do anything, um, the people who make noise are those who are losing out from the tax change. The people who gain often don't understand that they gain and often because of the nature of these reforms the gains tend to be very diffuse so you're giving a little bit of money to lots of people but taking a lot of money away from a small number of people. Um, MPs also don't really understand the tax system so what they notice is all the letters that end up in their postbox 
um, from the losers. And you really saw this around the IR35 changes uh, in recent times where MPs were getting a huge number of letters from people who were caught by this change Remind to enforcement. Sorry, IR35 is um, uh, changing the enforcement, basically making sure that people who are actually really employed by a company rather than an arm's length contractor are paying the taxes that they should pay as an employee, not as a self-employed contractor. Not actually changed the tax rules, it was more to the enforcement of it, but it did mean that some people ended up paying significantly more tax than they had been paying, and MPs got a lot of letters about that and kicked up a lot of fuss in Parliament. But you aside from those sorts of issues MPs don't tend to take much notice of tax at all and so it makes it very hard for governments to do anything very strategic um, so some things I think are great in the uh, Resolution Foundation report the kind of approach you've taken which I think might help to overcome some of those barriers is firstly telling a clear story for what's needed here um, I think that is part of what government's going to have to do if they're going to sell difficult things is to have a very clear story um, Secondly, packaging reforms together. Now, it's not a hard and fast rule, but if you look at history and other countries' experiences, it can be the case that doing that makes it easier. So doing big bang packages, because it makes it harder for people to figure out whether they win or lose from the overall package. Such a cynic. <laughs> well, got to be realistic. Um, uh, so it very much dilutes that problem um, and moving quickly whilst it can have challenges for the tax authorities and you need to be careful you're not um, doing too much and ending up with problems but sort of big bang reform can then avoid the problem of government sort of starting down a course but then getting thrown off course and um, we sort of saw with attempts to raise VAT on fuel in the 1990s that the first part of that happened, but then because they delayed the second part and had a second vote in Parliament, it never went through because opposition started to build. So um, going quickly can be beneficial. Um, but I think there are still clearly huge pitfalls um, in trying to achieve this. Um, I think some of the sorts of uh, proposals you're making here, you're talking about a big increase in NICs for higher income self-employed with a small reduction in employer next for everyone else. That seems like a case where you've got very concentrated losers, um, very diffuse gainers. Um, the overall objective here, great story of kind of redistributing the burden away from low and middle income families. The trouble is that everyone thinks they're middle income. Um, people have, have very poor knowledge of the in income distribution. Um, so people who are on sort of 70, 80,000, when they hear you saying, middle-income people paying less tax will think, oh, that's me, I'm only middle-income. Actually, they're way up the income distribution. So there's a lot of kind of uh, public information campaign needed here to uh, sure upskill people to... Uh, I'm, I'm actually not running that campaign. <laughs> <laughs> You're loaded. Understand that. It's not a popular message. Anyway, let's going. Um, so I guess what, what might help, I think this, there's a lot of pitch rolling needed to go on here. I think... Um, Deborah Mattinson, who avoided Gordon Brown on public opinion, said in, wrote in her book that it's only when you get bored of saying it that they start to hear. So you've got to really keep um, talking about this. Um, there are some areas here where maybe it's uh, me as a technocrat rather than as a politician, but 
all parties, whoever's going to form a future government, faces issues here, and maybe there is scope for some kind of cross-party commissions on some of this. For example, what do we do about fuel duty as we shift towards electric vehicles? It's a huge problem for whoever forms the next government. Perhaps we could get some cross-party consensus on a shift away from fuel duty towards perhaps more like road pricing. If we could get that, then perhaps we can make some progress on this, rather than being stuck in the cycle of fuel duty freezes. Um, so yes, I'll stop there, I guess. Just very much welcome this. Um, you might disagree on the, the details, but I don't think, I think we should all agree on the direction of travel that's needed here. Great, let's get on the travelling. Thank you very much, Emma. <laughs> that was great as always. Right, you've heard from two people with strong views about the, what the future of the tax system should be. Now you're going to hear from someone who's had the joy of making the tax system better. Yes. And sometimes worse. I, sorry, and, and <laughs> I, I, I noticed my description, you've airbrushed yes, out the fact that I, yeah. I spent uh, my last six years as permanent secretary at HMRC, so if I have a slightly world-weary view of how difficult the tax system we will forgive is to you. run, we forgive you. Um, that might explain that. Um, uh, look, I, you know, t terrific paper and, and, and some really good uh, ideas. Not all of them new, and that's not a criticism. I mean, in a sense, that's part of repeating things so that they're reinforced. Um, and I, I'm sure we'll come back in discussion to talk about um, many of them. I, I absolutely agreed on much you said on property, on the self-employed, uh, absolutely on cars and travel. And, and actually, when I joined the Treasury in 2004, we were in the process of introducing the lorry road user charge, which was well ahead of its time as a, effectively a, a dis per distance tax on lorries. But that got canned for, for various reasons. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure about uh, your proposals on corporation tax, but you know, it'll always be with us. So it's good to have a debate. Uh, CGT, um, uh, you know, it's a minority sport, and people forget that. But you know, uh, so I wouldn't uh, spend too much uh, time. I, I think the, the the one omission before I come and talk about how we might do some of this is is VAT. Now, perhaps through political caution. You, you, you have not suggested that we should have effectively VAT on everything, but the arguments for that are extremely strong for, on all sorts of um, uh, bases, apart, of course, from the politics of it. Um, so I, we can come back to any of those, yep. I'm, I'm sure. Um, so, you know, we sort of, we may not all completely agree, but as, as Torsten said, and as Gem has confirmed, we, we, we have an idea of what better looks like. And so it seems to me the question is, you know, why aren't we there? Um, I, I spent some time in, I don't want to really say how long ago, but over 30 years ago, working up with the IFS on better taxes. And although it didn't look like this, it, you know, it wasn't a million miles away. And, you know, 30 years have passed and absolutely bugger all's happened. So, you know, why haven't we got here already? And I think it's worth um, dwelling on that because it sort of, the, you know, goes to the question of how should we get there? Um, uh, to a certain extent, I think it's a, it is about priorities. Um, and it's about the limits, limited quantity of political capital. Um, this report's very carefully set out to be revenue neutral, but obviously it, it um, proposes reforms. And as I think Gemma has said, you know, reforms include, involve winners and losers, and, and losers have to be handled, and handling losers involves using political capital, and political capital is of a finite 
quantity. I mean, there is, there, you know, leaving aside the strength or weakness of any particular government, there is just a limited amount of time within which to deploy, as you do have to do quite hard political capital to achieve any change. And so we have to think about that. And then that takes you, well, what, to what are the priorities for the tax system? I mean, this is really important, but are there other priorities? And as, as um, Torsten has hinted, yes, there is always a priority for the tax system, and that is get the bloody money in. You know, we need whatever it is these days. It used to be 600, I think it's yeah, 800, heading, for 800, heading for a trillion of cash per day. And, and one of my great pleasures in my career has been sitting in the machine, HMRC, that cranks the wheel and, you know, the notes come churning out at the end, you know, whatever it is, two billion uh, a day. And, you know, the importance of that, you know, overrides everything else. If that machine stops working, we are collectively screwed. And in a sense, we've come quite close to that in, in recent years. I mean, uh, not in well, during my lifetime, not my living memory, we had to go to the IMF because literally the machine stopped working and nobody was going to lend us money. Uh, uh, Louis, whichever it was, uh, 16th, 15th, you know, sort of slightly discovered what happened if your right. bankers don't lend you money in 1789. And, you know, I can't over... And it was bad for his head. It was definitely bad. It was definitely bad. Um, so, uh, you know, and that's not to play down this, but to recognise that that priority trumps everything else. So what are the other priorities? Well, the priorities are fairness, absolutely. Now, you can argue what fairness means, but fairness is up there implicitly or explicitly as the number two priority. Um, then you've got some, some other things. You've got efficiency. You know, does the system actually work? Is the tax gap manageable? Um, you know, can people comply with their uh, obligations, can HMRC do this for a reasonable amount, and all of these are quite important. And I've, I've left till last, and you know this is where I suspect my view may diverge from others, there's using the tax system to achieve economic and social change. Well, I, I'm afraid I have to say that the uh, Shirley Williams dictum of every government policy, any government policy that does not achieve the exact opposite of what was intended should be regarded as success applies in spades to most attempts to use the tax system to achieve things. Now, uh, I know there are counterexamples, but by and large, uh, the, the tax lever tends to be the last resort of the incompetent department that can't find any other way of achieving its policy That's aims. your most treasury statement. Uh, that's my most treasury statement, except for the next one I'm going to come to, but <laughs> I reserve, reserve my rights. So I do think, you know, and I'm not for a moment saying that tax doesn't have a part to play, and I'm certainly not saying that tax doesn't influence behaviour, but we should be very careful about making it a, you know, a high priority for how we reform taxes. And I think a lot of what you've got here actually is about the fairness. And it is about efficiency in terms of how things work, the employed, self-employed, the treatment of property. This is about fairness and, and, and broad efficiency. And I do, I do think that tax has got a part to play in contributing to net zero. And I support some of the things you've got here. But you've got to recognize that some good things we can do for net zero will have disastrous consequences for fairness. You know. If we really price carbon properly, it is going to hit the less well-off. So, yes, there may be a tax policy in there, but it cannot operate in isolation from other policies, redistributive policies, spending social um, support for, for individuals and, and families. So you know, that is just to say a little bit about priorities and to think about how those play into the choices of where you use your uh, political capital when you actually want to. 
um, make the reforms. Now, briefly, and I'm sort of conscious of time, we should get on to questions. Is this, is this easier or harder than it was uh, in, in the past? And, and uh, I think Gemma mentioned the reforms, the uh, Lamont proposals to put up VAT on fuel and how those fell because part of them were delayed. But the sort Remind of... Remind what happened, because not everyone has studied What happened was that Lamont in, I think, 93, but it might have been 92, uh, proposed very sensibly that VAT should be raised on, on fuel. Uh, because, you know, why should, I mean, it wasn't for, you know, net zero reasons, but in a sense it, it would be now, you know, why should effectively those people who burn more fuel um, get some sort of tax break in excess of those people who pay, pay less? It was put through in two phases, 7.5% and then 15%, but very foolishly, and this was a Treasury dropping the ball, the second increase was subject to a further parliamentary vote 12 months later. And by that time, as has been said, the opposition mounted and the second half fell, leaving a very significant fiscal hole. In the 94 budget, which was actually the November budget, Ken Clark, you know, did what chancellors should do. He said, you know, here are the numbers. This is the problem. This is the gap. I'm going to have to fill it. He put up VAT, um, sorry, fuel duty, tobacco duty and alcohol duty. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> all the duties but the point was he had what I would like to think is a mature conversation about fiscal numbers with the public now going about the uh, and he got the Eurosceptic nuts to vote for it and he exactly by he managed to face down the opposition who were the headbackers um, you know the uh, the bastards as John Major called them in in the Conservative Party in 1990 uh, four or five glory times I had a brief stint in the period working for Ken Clark uh, and still think he's our greatest living Englishman on anything to do with tax or... Englishman? That's really... Sorry. That's very broad. Sorry, GLE. The best Englishman uh, ever. Um, greatest living, I'd say. Okay. Um, David Ashton was very if, upset. If you want to extend that, um, you should go back and look at what uh, Gladstone did in 1853. And although he did go a three-hour budget speech, it's, it's remarkably readable still and fully accessible. Um, and he completely set out the case, you know, for free trade and the burdens which tariffs put on trade and the inefficiencies and the case for reforming um, income tax. And I, before you go and Google that immediately, I've, I'm, it may be 52, but I'm pretty sure it's 53. Uh, but it's, it's, it is well worth it. They are Googling across the country. Uh, they are Googling across <laughs> the country. told them it's a three-hour speech. Sorry, <laughs> finishing off. In a sense, it's a bit of a challenge to, to everyone here. Could we do that now? Could the reforms which are here in the current climate be laid out by a chancellor in the sort of terms, if not at the length that Gladstone did, even in the terms which Ken did in 94? And I fear the answer to that is no. Um, you know, Brexit has marked a new low or high, depending on how you look at it, in the ability of politicians to be dishonest about the reality of trade-offs. But actually, there is a precedent in tax. We've been doing this... Uh, Politicians have been doing this in tax for longer. So the precondition to doing what any of what is here is somehow we have to address that. Sorry, that was probably overgoing my time. No, not at all. That's great. Thank you very much, Edward. We've got 1993 and...
1853, that is a, uh, a 94-53. Um, so while well, we finish on that, in, 50, in, in the 1850s, this is tariffs down, but tariffs you're going to pay income, income tax up. You know, that we do not want all these multiple tariffs, uh, which effectively are inhibiting all sorts of uh, elements of free trade, but we do need to pay for the revenues. Actually, we had to pay for the army and the navy in those days, but we needed public spending. Um, and uh, income tax was the answer because it was fair and it was broad. Very good. Okay, why don't we? Um, I thought we should do. Let's do. Try and do four things. We've got a good thirty-five minutes or so. So we'll do a bit about where Edward finished on, like what's changed, what's different about the now versus you know why didn't someone do this in why didn't George Osmond do this after twenty ten why did anyone do it in two thousand and five then. Then let's do, and, and what's the future level of tax policy? I think should we caught up with that. Then let's do Edward's challenge, which is what's the job of tax policy? Raise the money, definitely HMRC's job. Uh, raise the money, uh, pay for public services. That's a really important stop. Ensure people have confidence that you can raise the money in future, so they'll keep lending you money. Those are really important parts of it. But is there anything else? This paper is arguing that integrating it within your economic strategy has some important wins, but there are challenges to that. Uh, then let's do the priorities for improvement. So like Gemma said, maybe doing this all together has some advantages, and we can talk about some countries that have tried that. Then, but if you're going to pick off some elements of it, what's your like top priority? So Adam's got like 1% of GDP of bad taxes. What's your kind of sub, what's your 0.5%, 0.2% of GDP bad tax priority? And then let's do the barriers to any of this actually happening or anything happening ever and making the world a better place. And then we'll wrap up. So as I said at the beginning, go on Slido and put, there's loads of good questions in there already, but go on Slido and it's hashtag better taxes to put questions in. So first of all, on what's changed? So like, to stop us all getting kind of depressed, here's like a plausible story about what is different. So one of the like underlying arguments in this paper is one of the reasons why things have got worse as opposed to just not getting better, right? So the, right now, the challenge is, we, we've actually made the tax system worse. It's not just that we haven't done the reforms we needed. We've like repeatedly done things that made it actually worse, like raising taxes on employment, but not on anything else, fuel duty, all the rest, right? The, um, uh, the, um, uh, anything in the property tax base, broadly. The, um, <laughs> any attempt to do anything there basically made it worse. So we keep making it worse. So why might we stop making it worse or possibly make it better? So here's a story. Taxes basically ignoring the like funny business uh, in the um, late 80s, early 90s, broadly are ba have basically stayed flat as a share of GDP since 1980, broadly. They're like kind of pootling along in the low 30s. There's not much change uh, over time. Actually, at the same time, other advanced economies are actually going up in the 1980s. We kind of flog a load of stuff, um, broadly defined, like the oil, um, uh, to stop any of that happening. We, as we carry on at 33%, everyone thinks Gordon Brown has loads of stealth taxes. The line is definitely like up, but it's, basically, it's pretty small as a share of GDP, the increases, right? So what is happening now is just very different. So 5% of GDP happening in a reasonably short space of time being done by a Conservative government. I think the first or the second sentence in the report makes you remind you that's £4,000 per household. So there's a very big tax rise happening as a share of GDP um, going on right now. Adam gave you one of the reasons, which is debt interest payments have gone up and they will definitely be higher than that 1.3% of GDP in the uh, reports now. Um, and then secondly, everyone decided austerity had got had like gone too far in 2018-19, basically, is the other reason. Okay, And so we're trying to spend more as a share of GDP on public services again. 
we're back to like, I don't know what it is, 2015 levels of austerity rather than 2018 levels of austerity. The two together is a big show of big increase in taxation. So, and the punters know. They don't know about the individual taxes, but punters know taxes are up, right? Which is why this politics of like Jeremy Hunt every now and again saying like, oh no, I really do want to bring down taxes. We will at some point. It doesn't work because they were like, they're up loads. If you cut this other little twiddly one over here, I, I'm not an idiot. I know they're up, right? They know taxes are up. That's why the Labour Party is so nervous about sounding like they, they're in favour of any more tax rises, right? That's the big, that is what is different about now. Whereas remember, go back to 2010, big fiscal hole. George Osborne was cutting a load of taxes. Yes, putting up some, but cutting loads of big taxes. The, um, and we haven't had a tax rise face from this. Plus, the punters basically have worked out that Britain's not working that well generally. Right? Low growth, stagnant incomes at the bottom, food banks when they walk down their street. So the, the case for change about what's different now is they know taxes are up. They know there's unfairness within them and they don't like bits of that. And they know things aren't working well. So maybe they're more receptive to a... Okay, if they're going to be higher, can they at least not be rubbish slash very unfair? What do you reckon, Gemma? Plausible perky story? Um, no. <laughs> so, I, I, so I, I agree with what you've said. I think I'm more... I think it's been quite a long time since we had governments who were really tackling the difficult politics that Edward was talking about. And you're right that George Osborne did actually do some, had some strategy in areas. So on corporation tax, he was um, lowering the headline rate, but broadening the base by getting rid of a lot of allowances on income tax. They were raising the personal allowance quite significantly, um, sort of Lib Dem adopted policy that they then took on as their own. Um, but that was sort of strategy in areas where you were effectively giving money away. Um, yeah, the and strategy was to cut public spending. Yes, not cutting public spending or raising taxes yeah. in other ways that were less noticed. Um, so I don't think that really counts as kind of taking on the politics of difficult tax strategy. So um, I totally agree with you that we are in a different place and that taxes are going up. Um, as I said at the start, I think that increases the need to do sensible stuff on yeah. tax design. Uh, I'm not convinced it makes the politics of doing any of that any easier. Although I hope, I don't know, a little bit of me hopes that politicians increasingly see the need to do that and realise that they're running out of road on the less noticed, easy stuff around the edges. But I'm... I, I think there's a, there's a big sort of demographic question here, which we haven't touched on so far. And if you follow the excellent Raphael Baer in The Guardian, his, his article this morning has a fabulous phrase which is that the millennials' experience of economic policy is as a boomer protection racket. And it is a boomer protection racket. I am a boomer. I was born in 55. You know, I have had all of the economic advantages of inflation and interest rates when I was younger. I am not paying uh, tax on my investment income. I am not paying nicks on my pensions. I do not have any debt. Um, all right, know, all right. And my children are completely, <laughs> my four children, and I've had uh, four lots of child benefit without it being capped, even though I was a high earning lawyer, um, you know, have, are completely screwed. Um, you know, two of them are trying to buy houses at the moment. Um, you know, I, I, I could go on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think coming back to your question, if you're going to have an honest debate, it has to be in, in terms which effectively takes on the boomer generation and brings home to them me, although, you know, since I'm probably a more self-aware boomer than most, 
that this is not some sort of entitlement that we do need to pay. And actually, if you're going to put up taxes, you're going to sorry, I won't put, say put up taxes, raise the amounts of money that are involved already being raised. Here, yeah. Then you have to make a case based on what's happened to the what well, the benefits to the boomer generation, which supports the reform, many of the reforms which are in this is paper, and that is really hard. I think if we get a change of government, there is a sort of one-off opportunity to, you know, renew the social contract because the millennials will bring the new government in, but actually there will be at least tacit support from the boomers who are fed up to the back teeth with the current government, and you have to effectively exploit that yeah. so that they will suck up the consequences of this. Okay, let's do that. So, Jim, why don't you do this one? It's a question, the first question. So, the context here is, so no, nobody is going to do huge tax reforms uh, in the next 18 months. Obviously, you'll have noticed there's an election um, coming, but somebody's asked here a question. They've done it anonymously, very bold of them. Um, <laughs> can you do it in a post-election budget? So, the history definitely says taxes go up after elections. Mm -hmm definitely says that. They definitely say, insofar as chances are likely to do big bang change. So the, George, the most recent one is the George Osborne turns up, turns out he says the books are much worse than we thought they were, and, 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 and announces public spending cuts right across the board that people didn't think were possible. Right? Lots of people didn't think were plausible, particularly because they're deep because he doesn't put up tax much overall. So he basically did do this in a time when he thought he didn't agree that the tax take was going to be rising as a share of GDP and said it shouldn't do and blah, blah, blah. Everyone now is admitting taxes are going up. Is Rachel Reeves going to turn up and do a big bang? Gemma, then Adam. Um, so you're absolutely right that the history is you will, governments put taxes up after elections. After even you find when, out how bad it is. Yeah. Yes. Well, or even, even returning governments knew how bad it was to <laughs> yeah. do this after elections without having said it in their election manifestos. As a bare minimum, I would really hope that going into this election, parties at least don't rule out significant swathes of tax rises. At bare minimum, that would be a big step forward from where we've been in recent elections. Um, I think it obviously would be better if they have some kind of electoral mandate to do difficult things. That will help with um, the parliamentary debates afterwards. Um, but uh, I agree that it, the reality may be that you don't want to set out a radical tax strategy. It's probably not going to win you uh, an election apart from possibly the votes of the people in this room. Um, so I think it could be possible, particularly if they've avoided boxing themselves in in the manifesto from doing things that would be sensible. Let's do an unfair question. Out of 10, what is the chance of Rachel Reeves announcing a major tax reform package after the next election. Oh, you can do Jeremy Hunt as well if you want. Um, I'd go about two out of ten on. Both? Both. Excellent. Very optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent. Adam, you can give us your Rachel Reeves score and uh, your general view on whether you sneak in after an election and announce loads of reforms. Well, I'd say that there are some practical reasons for, for doing some major reforms without a lot of uh, sort of discussion first. So on capital gains tax especially, uh, you can obviously affect the, the timing of when people take capital gains or dividends. Um, and there have been mistakes in the past where there's been too much warning about those and uh, a lot of um, forestalling where people will change the timing of, of those things. Um, so sort of doing those all at once with immediate effect um, is usually the best way to go. Uh, and, and yeah, definitely that has been a pattern in the past of, of big post-election changes. So 
uh, on that basis, I would expect some post-election tax rises just based on uh, on history. Yeah. Well, what, what about another way of coming at the same thing, which is, so we've had this 5% of GDP tax rise where 4% has happened and there's a percent to come, roughly. So they're big. I'm not sure how much of that's actually been received yet as opposed to forecast. Uh, well, look, then, and April's rises, we're getting the money in from the personal allowance freezes, they're big. They're like okay. chunky. The corporation good. tax rise has happened. Good. Like we've done. I mean, I know they're legally done. It's just whether the money's coming in. But those two, well, I mean, corporation tax and the income tax stuff oh, is coming. Those are the, two, yeah. the big chunks of it. Okay. Now, admittedly, it's bigger than they planned. Yeah. So there's an accident. Yeah, there's it's an, accidentally arrived. But no, we've got a conservative government has delivered whopping great tax rises, yeah. bigger than, you know, bigger than ever planned by Gordon Brown. I think that's slightly surprising. They, um, and I do think that does change the. And the punters, de as I say, they definitely know. Like you're sitting in a focus group on anything in economic policy at the moment, right? People will will bring up, like, our taxes are up a lot. Right? They um, they're not, and, they, and they've always kind of said that in a like. So people saying that is just what people say, right? But they say it with more intensity than they normally say it. They, um, so I do think that is worth doing. But but on the general issue on where a tax is heading, so they're up, mostly in like more technocratic discussions of tax policy. People have been saying, of course, they're going to head up in the 2020s generally, but they are now up five percent of GDP. Are you in the it's now done, or are you in the, the upward trajectory is still up? Um, do you mean are we going to steady off at that level? Yes. I think if we sustain that level, we'll have done very well. Uh, I am sceptical about whether it will actually be sustained as a yeah. collection or policy matter. And back to the slide, but the question's moved on. I was thinking, sitting here, wondering why it was anonymous, but I, I hope that it means that she or he is sitting in the Treasury thinking about bold post-election uh, exactly. budgets. Good, good positive. Yeah. Good positive take. Okay, well, why don't we do, let's do a poll on Slido. As I said to you before, it's hashtag better taxes. So this is basically the question that um, Edward's just answered. So are, we're, we're, we're going from 33 to 38. Right. A new government's going to turn up in the middle of that forecast, either materialising or not materialising. We're going to be an ageing society in the back end of the 20. In fact, actually, we haven't actually been an ageing society insofar as most of the big things that matter for demographics come through recently. In fact, if anything, we've been having a demographic boom in the, in the last decade because we've been having more workers and immigration. That is definitely coming to an end in terms of the share of the population that's over 65, not paying tax on some things, not working as much. So Edward is basically coming in as it would be great if we stayed the same at 38. That would be a triumph for tax policy. Let's while while the publishers are voting. Gemma, what's going to happen? We're going up, we're going down, we're staying the same. I think we're going to go optimistically staying the same. I don't think going down is realistic, given what we want so the, the state the, to The case be. for lower would be um, you get lucky on debt interest costs. And it like, not gives you 2%. Well, and you give up on the NHS and quite a lot of uh, public services. That, so that's the yeah. France. That's the yeah. case for the France option, which yeah. is have you met a public service recently? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think my optimistically the same is sort of we definitely need to grapple with some issues in public services. Yeah. And we need to hope that economic performance improves and helps this out. So my optimistic world is we grapple with some of the low productivity issues in the NHS and other services, for example, which means we don't need yep. to spend quite as much more as we would. And growth takes off that okay. helps us all out. That's definitely the Treasury's hope too. <laughs> Adam, you go last and then we're going to hear what, see what the punters voted for. What's going to happen? Well, there's obviously a bit of a trade-off here with fiscal rules and, and you can obviously borrow a little bit more uh, and have slightly lower taxes. Um, but I think if politicians are serious about sort of balancing the current budget and lowering debt as a share of GDP and those kinds of fiscal rules, 
um, the tax take is going to stay where it is at least. Yeah, so just to unpack that a bit, because the debt rule is the one that is binding, but people would like to invest for some things, every, you are now basically having to raise taxes to pay for investment, despite a lot of the rhetoric being, I won't, you know, I'll pay for my day-to-day -day public spending from taxes and then I'll borrow to invest. That isn't the world we're going to be in because the debt interest payment bill has squeezed out the, the margin for adjustment, basically. The, um, so that sounds well, let's see how, what you all voted for. How many of you are like Liz Truss at the bottom? Are you going to ask the room? Or they? No, they don't get. They only get to vote online. We're not that inclusive. Oh, right, a bunch of Frenchies. All right, very good. We're heading higher, are we? The, um, so I think the case for higher is basically the "Have you met a public service?" argument. It is basically like if there's going to be a, a government that comes in eighteen months, it's going to have uh, going to have to be able to show that it's improved public services over its time in office. Some of that is about reform, productivity in the health service, blah, but some of it probably does involve more spending than is currently planned. But, but the challenge and the trade-off is sort of reflecting my question, are we really going to get to 38% and stick with it? Because as you've shown, you know, historically, and if you look at some of the budget forecasts, we've consistently forecast revenues going yeah. to a higher level, and they, until recently, never have. So this, these answers, it seems to me, may reflect the, you know, the truism that the British want continental levels of public services, but American yeah. levels of taxes. That is true. So, so, so um, uh, Nick McPherson, when he sits on panels like this with us, says you can't, basically always used to say, you're never going to get above your 33, 34% of GDP. And I think the last three years has basically murdered that argument. Because the rise is so large, yep. and it has basically now happened. Like we have moved, it's a levels change. It's the only levels change in anyone in this room's lifetime in taxation, and it has basically happened. I'd like to see it sustained. We're going to find out. The, um, hopefully, planning to be around to see what happens by 2030. Right, okay, let's do um, briefly on, um, well, let, let's do next do priorities for better. And there's two great questions, uh, basically, which are each of the panel, which is basically, what's the worst bit of the tax system? So like the 0.x. And then someone's got a great question. There's a few versions of the worst, but um, uh, where's the great question gone? Oh, here we go. Also anonymous, Treasury official territory, which is basically um, on a more potentially more positive note, is there anything the UK tax system does particularly well versus other? And that's good. We want some optimism in life and in our tax system. So what's your worst tax bit of the tax system and what's your best bit of the tax system? Who wants to go first? Adam doesn't want to go first. He's actively shaking his head. Jeremy, <laughs> have you got some? Um, I'm going to fill while we go, yeah, give you a chance to think about it. Yeah. Okay, I can do. Well, Edward's off volunteering to go first. No, no, Very no good. go on. Okay. Oh, what are you? <laughs> Edward, get, get on with it, come on. Sorry, the, the, what, what do we do well? We have PAYE, which yes. has got the lowest Triumph. tax gap of any part of the tax system, it, with very little cost to anybody, I, with apologies to those businesses out there who have to administer PAYE, is churning out, uh, Jamal will give me the numbers, you know, PAYE and NICs of sort of three, four hundred billion a year. It's absolutely brilliant. It's yeah. definitely not perfect. It definitely needs modernising. But my God, Give, explain to everyone why POI is so much better than the dangerous Yankee approach. I, I'm not saying it is, but it works extremely well here. 
because it means that a lot of people do not need to fill in tax returns. Now, it's creaking, and uh, I know there are members of the audience who may not agree totally with me, but it does, for a large number of people, more or less get their taxes right. They do not need to fill in tax returns. It does not need to follow the US system of over-deducting to force everybody to fill in tax returns in order to get And there. it's cheap. And it's cheap. Bargain. It's cheap. And it's, you know, our businesses complain, but it is actually quite cheap and it's increasingly automated. So, you know, I would sell an updated version of the PAY as something to be proud of. What's your worst? Um, I've, I've, sorry, it's gone out of my head. It'll come right, back Gemma, when I... What's your best? <laughs> I realise there's an advantage to going first here, which is you get to do PAY. <laughs> <laughs> what's your best? Well, if I focus more on structures rather than um, the way the system operates, um, I mean, I think it is worth, the UK system is not terrible in international terms. I mean, there are lots of other systems. The US system yeah. has loads of different deductions on in different types of, whether it's health insurance or all sorts of deductions, which just create complexity and probably don't helpfully incentivize anything very useful. Um, similarly, if you look at France, there are different deductions depending on how many children you have and just all these things that, fortunately, the UK tax system is not attempting to pull any of these crazy levers. We just use the benefit system to tell you to stop having kids after two. Yes. <laughs> that's okay. Apparently that's okay. Anyway, that's another um, moment. But I would agree with Edward's point previously that I would be very nervous of trying to use the tax system to actively incentivise certain things. I would try and remove distortions uh, and be quite cautious of trying to encourage anything. Um, best, uh, sorry, worst bits of the UK tax system. Um, I would definitely agree with Edwards broadening the VAT base. Um, uh, and certainly transactions taxes are just horrible and should be got rid of. So stamp duties, that sort of thing. Adam, what do you want to offer up? Uh, in terms of good aspects, I think we could also note that the UK has a, a functioning carbon pricing system at the moment. Uh, you could compare it to the, the EU system, which it's start, starting to diverge from, but compared to a lot of the rest of the world, like the, the US, we've got a sort of half-consistent uh, carbon pricing market. Good, good perkiness. Right, what's your grimness? Uh, on VAT... I think maybe one of the worst features of the tax system is that we have one of the world's highest VAT registration thresholds, which we've not talked about yet, yeah. but means that lots of... Explain to everyone what yeah, it yeah. is. So lots of businesses um, deliberately trying to keep their turnover below £85,000 a year so they don't need to register for VAT um, and therefore uh, start charging 20% VAT and, and do a bit more admin. Um, so in the report, we talk about trying to slash that to the point where like all small business businesses really know that they, they do need to pay VAT and they don't need to worry about which side of that line that they're, they're on. Very good. Which will grab um, look, there's, there's so many things wrong. I think structurally, the, the self-employed, employed personal service company is such a massive fiscal hole. It's an abuse hole. It diverts huge amounts of activity unnecessarily. It's a labour market problem. It, it's a labour market problem. It is disastrously awful. And you know, if I was going to do one of the reforms in Adam's paper, I would definitely, you know, pick trying to get sort sort that out. If you want to get into the micro, um, you know, the taxation of pensions is indescribably difficult. Um, uh, my last year as a civil servant, I opted out of the pension scheme because I was not confident I would know 
that I could calculate my charge uh, on a going over the limit accurately. And nobody, literally nobody could help me. And I did not want to be in the position uh, as chair of HMRC of getting it wrong. So I went out of the pension scheme for the last year. Now that, you know, I had a lot a pretty seniors, savage. A lot of seniors that were servants have said to me that they have no but, idea when they're caught you know, by it. It is a first world problem because to have yes. the problems of the pension system, you need to have a pension and you need to have quite a reasonable pension. Okay. So, you know, uh, Very good. Not a okay. big one. Right, I have a question here in the front row. Yeah. Oh, give one second. It's coming. It's coming. Is it? Hello. Yes, you're on. <laughs> Hi, um, Anne Fennell from um, Mothers at Home Matter. Um, you talked about fairness of the tax system um, and also public information campaign about you know how well off you are. Um, surely, um, fairness is is uh, the ability to pay. Um, you, you should be taxed according to your ability to pay. Uh, the tax system treats uh, people as individuals. It does not see how many dependents are dependent on that income. Um, therefore, shouldn't that be part of a reform of the tax system? I know you just said that that's one of our good things, but it does, um, uh, you know, we, we ha with the benefit system, you have a, a system of equivalization. So you look at the income and you look at how many dependents are on that income. Um, what our tax system does do is it, it is better to be on a lower income it does force people onto the welfare system, and then you have these very high marginal tax rates, and it's really not worth earning more okay. money. Great. So isn't that something we need to look at in reforming the okay. tax system? And very shouldn't good. the family be the family unit be there somewhere? Okay, so this is like the big historic row about whether we tax at the level of the family or we tax at the level of the individual. Gemma, what are you in favour of? Um, so I, not really my place to come down on either side of that. I totally... It, for me, it comes down to what are the objectives for the country, for the government, and structure your tax system around that. I could construct an argument exactly as you have done for why the family unit is the correct unit and you want to account for either joint taxation of couples or numbers of children as well within the tax system, if that's your objective. I could also construct an argument for the system we have at the moment of individual taxation and say we see people as individual units, it doesn't matter what their partnership structure is, we tax their income as an individual and there were strong reasons and a lot of support for moving to individual taxation in the late 1970s. So I think be clear about what your objective is and structure your tax system in that way, not for me to make the argument one way or the other. I mean, the, I think there is zero chance of us moving back. away from in back to, who's left doing it? A bit of the Germans. Uh, the French, there's some features of the French system. There are, but they don't do, but they don't do, they support kids, yeah. but they don't do household. So the counter arguments to be, Jim was being really polite. The counter arguments are uh, less, fewer women working, um, really complicated relationship breakdown mid-tax year, your life is already, your life complicated enough when your relationship's changing and suddenly you're into like tax, like your partner then goes and earns more, oh my God, who's like dealing with it? The, um, uh, and others, so it's not going to happen. But the, but there are but there are some inequality effects. So for people like me that also don't think it should happen, because I'm in favour of a higher employment rate, um, amongst other things. They, um, and remember, there's a reason why there's not there's a reason why Germany is one of the examples of a country that's still in the old world, which is they have incredibly like outdated views about gender roles, like very, like staggeringly for a country that is advanced in almost every other um, sense. There's a great paper out just yesterday, I think, showing that in Germany, if the, in a couples, if the man is unemployed, the man and the woman, are, it affects their well-being very severely, whereas the, if the woman is unemployed, it only affects the woman. 
being unemployed in terms of their well-being, like, which is, happens to, to a degree across countries, but Germany is the winner due to having lots of very old-fashioned views about gender roles. But anyway, Adam. I think in the UK there could be more recognition that because we, we have an individual-based tax system, it's a benefit system that has to do more to reflect uh, how many children people have and whether there's a, a single earner. Uh, and yeah, that makes the benefit system even more important. And I don't think that that's, that's properly recognised. Uh, we do discuss a bit in the paper about child benefit. Um, and yeah, the withdrawal at the moment is just based on a, a single, uh, each person's individual income. So that, that is one extra reason for, for getting rid of that withdrawal. Yeah, I think that one is plausible. That's the closest you're going to get to a change in, that moves towards what you're talking about, basically, is getting rid of the slightly ludicrous, not slightly, the very ludicrous, uh, but quite expensive to reverse uh, child benefit removal, which is like, at least that recognises everybody has the costs that come with children, even if they're higher income, and doesn't try to do with it. Right, let's do, on priorities, so we've done the worst and the best. Adam's given us a long list of priorities for reform. So let's just keep it simple. So we've basically read better business taxation, in particular to basically incentivise investment, sort out the net zero problem. Road charging is the like obvious big thing that needs doing. I was going to give you a case for optimism on that, by the way, which is when we did our paper on road charging a few weeks back, um, if, if we'd done that five years ago, the Daily Mail and everyone would have been screaming and saying, like, this is madness, road charging, awful, evil, devil stuff. Now they're basically all in favour of it. Why are they in favour of it? Because they're now looking at the unfairness of people with EVs not paying any tax and people driving petrol and diesel cars paying the tax. So they basically flipped, the right has basically flipped its position on road charging to being like, we can't have the greenies getting away with no tax. These absolute hippies need to pay their share, not just fuel diesel. I think that maybe the politics of that is changing or maybe it's being overly <laughs> optimistic. But I definitely, I'm saying Telegraph and the Daily Mail, their position on road charging is moving. Why is it moving? Because they don't want all these Teslas not paying any uh, tax because they know those people are dirty liberals. The, um, right, property taxation, they may not use that phrase, but that's definitely what they think. Uh, property taxation, income income uh, equalisation or move towards equalisation of rates, why are the... Does anyone in the room... Let's do a poll. Does anyone in the room want to defend lawyer, partner lawyers paying lower taxes than other rich people on the grounds that you feel... Anyone got anyone in their family with a... OK, we're going to come to... But does, anyone, does anyone want to self-identify as a partner lawyer? Oh, come on. I was hoping for that. I used to be one. Great. OK, but we know you think it's a bad idea. So, like, OK, let's get a mic to this gentleman and hear his case for why these absolutely loaded corporate lawyers should be paying lower taxes than other workers. Uh, hello, Bill Dodwell. Uh, the argument is that the partner lawyers are actually putting capital in the business. Um, the bankers are not putting capital in the business, but they're almost certainly getting part of their reward coming in lower tax capital gain. So if you want to equalise absolutely everything, yep. then of course you can get there. But the comparison that's being made, I don't think is entirely fair. So which do you think that's the argument, that or do you think that's your argument? Do, you, do yeah. you believe that argument? No, I do believe that so argument. So you think those lawyers are actually putting capital at risk? Yes, really? they are. Well, it, well, really? I, I, well, I was a partner in a firm that went bankrupt, okay. um, and uh, you know, a firm called Arthur Anderson. And I can tell you, it did not feel a very comfortable situation at that stage. So, yes, capital is at risk um, in every sense in that sort of way. And you have got to come up with it. I'm not saying that you that where we are in national insurance is actually right, but I do think... Well, I think the gap might be too big. Yes, yes. And the other question is to look at an engagers levy, 
which would be something to take the heat out of that yeah. freelancer. Explain to everyone what an engager levy might an, be. An engager levy would be an equivalent charge to a business which uses self-employed people to do predominantly labour-based services. And it would sort of equalise out that employer's national insurance. Great. And thank you very much for making that case. Uh, sir, even if we don't agree with it, was a lady who wants to come in at the back left, and then I'm going to go to the panel for their what's their priority for better, and then we're going to wrap up. You on? Um, hi, I'm using being in the room to cheat on the um, questions online and, and bounce. Um, I was going to ask if one of the things that have changed since 2010 are that all the parties are now in agreement that productivity is consistently awful, and they're all saying that that's the magic way out of our current demographic disaster pending. If they've all agreed that productivity is key, what bits of the tax system need to change? I work in economic development in coastal areas, and you can take £100,000 a year in property-related income, if you arrange it correctly, tax-free. If you go out and do something useful for £100,000 a year, you pay 34 in Explain how to, for, without offering tax advice, which you're not really, <laughs> uh, how, you would you get, how do I get my 100k uh, You sign up to all sorts of hideous spivvy advice lines and they show you all, all the various ways of weaving through it, but it is entirely possible. Um, I, I pay rent in one place I work to a trust for a 21-year-old who pays no tax on the money that post is post-tax for okay. the people who live in the housing. We, we are anti-spivs. So to take one thing that would have political capital, um, GPs are in that kind of earning bracket. It makes more sense, and I've got anecdotal evidence for it, but I'd love to know whether you've got actual evidence for this. They work three days a week and have an Airbnb portfolio on the side because that makes much more sense, <laughs> but it's obviously in terms of productivity is a disaster and in terms of us training doctors and then them not working. Okay, so great. So have you got evidence for that? Great, okay. The, um, uh, well, do you want to take that one, that one first and then give us your priority for uh, investment? There's quite a lot there. There was quite a lot there. So let's answer the question I'd like to be asked, um, which is what's the role of tax in actually addressing some of these problems? Well, I think, Jorston, you've broadly, or, or one of you uh, said, what we should be doing with the tax system is making sure it doesn't stand in the way that it doesn't provide disincentives. I, you know, I, I have a very, very high barrier to believing there's something positive we can do to tax, which is going to cure the productivity. Uh, um, uh, challenge, but clearly there are some things around investment and employment. Um, so what is the priority? In a sense, the priority beyond raising money, which is always our number one priority, yep. and fairness, because I recognise that we have to look at everything through the lens of fairness, is to, to do with the activity of individuals. And I think that's more important than worrying about business investment. I think businesses, the driver of business investments, taxes actually quite low down. The driver of what individuals do, whether it's to work as a doctor or to um, rental income or to move, not to be able to move because of stamp duty, I think tax has much more of an influence and we should look at some of those barriers, uh, property and employment or whatever. Okay, so you're on the properties, incomes and wealth taxation bit and a bit less on the business taxation exactly. bit. Exactly. Okay, that's very clear. Just before you guys get a go, so that everybody else gets a go at this, let's do a uh, the same question broadly on Slido. So what's the priority for the next government? That may be a Labour government or maybe a Conservative government. And who should that mean? Picking a fight with the... Um, uh, here's a list of um, things you could do, which broadly match the things Adam's raising, basically. The um, motorists should say EV motorists, broadly. The um, taxing wealth and assets, partly fairness. So that's, that's like just avoiding unfairnesses. Why does James Dyson own a lot of farmland? tax. It's the only reason. It's not because he likes the green. And it's not because he's a farmer. 
It's because he has inheritance tax exemption because of it. The um, property taxation, Adam, is only one way of doing that, but there are others. Uh, people with very undertaxed properties are the losers from that. Uh, Edward is coming down on the, can we stop having such a focus on high taxes for employees and not lower for everybody else? Um, right, Gemma, while everyone's voting, what's your priority? Um, so slightly boringly, probably in a similar place to Edward um, on business. So business investment is a huge problem in the UK and that's part of the problem with productivity. Uh, but I think that's a lot to do with huge amounts of uncertainty about broader policy direction and things rather than the tax system per se. Um, we've talked a lot about fairness. One thing I, I think is worth distinguishing is there's the fairness about where who in the income distribution is paying taxes, which yep. there's a concept called vertical equity. And I think people can take different views on that. I think there's another important concept in the tax system, which is horizontal equity, which is like activities should be taxed in a similar way. And I think it's harder for anyone to disagree with that principle. But there are loads of areas in our tax system where that is not the case, um, exactly as we've just been talking about. So my priority would be to tackle those areas, whether it's equalising out NICS treatment or equalising different, rather than people having an incentive to label income as capital gains rather than income or dividends rather than earned income. Um, addressing all of those would be my priority. And that's basically a worry less about, it's basically within the better off problem. Yeah. Fairness yeah. amongst the better off. Yeah. yeah Even if we don't want to do just bankers versus lawyers, but just yeah. generally like... I mean, it, it does hit, some of those do hit other parts of the income It will. But the main effect is like, we should soak the rich equally. Basically, mm. maybe not how you phrase it, but if we're going to soak the rich, we should do it equally. Yeah. Adam, what's your one? What's your top priority? Yeah, sort of building on that, I think there are some parts of the tax system where very low rates are available, where yeah, you can pay zero tax or, for example, 10% oh, tax. Give, give, on, on, give them the list of the zeros in case they want tax advice on your spivvy lines. How do I get zero? Well, if you've got a big pile of capital gains, you can leave the country uh, and then realise that gain and, and pay no tax and spend a few years in Monaco. Um, uh, or you can hold on to assets and, until death and, and pass them on capital gains tax-free. Um, we've also got a 10% tax rate for a lot of capital gains. Um, so it's like there's no point trying to raise a lot more from a rich in other ways uh, while leaving those avenues open, so dealing with those. Um, and then separately, I, th I think the overall priority has to be um, the fuel duty equivalent for, for EVs, as you said. Um, if we sort of wait until everyone's driving an EV, that's going to be much harder to, to do than doing it at the moment when it's a sort of minority group affected. Actually, that is very important. The Daily Mail and the Telegraph support is temporary. Yeah. yeah. It's only there until their readers are driving the EVs. And then they'll suddenly go back to the traditional position, which is don't you dare uh, do it. So we've got like a window of opportunity. Uh, While well, the consensus there. Right, let's see what everyone else voted for. What do you want to do? You want to focus on... Oh, that's worrying. They all agree with you too much. Okay, they basically broadly agree with what the focus is on, which is like, let's get the, let's get the taxation of individuals and the fairness within that right and equalise it, and then we can come to some of the other stuff. But this is getting at the boomers, isn't it? Uh, most of it, yes, most of the tax rising bit would fall more on the wealthier bits of the boomers. Yeah. The, um, and we think that's kind of okay. You know, that's that's okay. good. That's okay, good. isn't it? That's yeah. okay. The, um, right, okay. That has been very helpful. I hope everyone has enjoyed learning uh, from our panel this morning. Can we give them a round of applause? So thank you very much.
And I hope the main lesson I hope you take away is that you should go away and help build a tax, better tax strategy for the country, not move to Monaco uh, with your zero capital gains tax. Have a good day, everyone. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this Resolution Foundation event. You can find more episodes and the latest living standards research on the Resolution Foundation website.